As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, before we get started tonight, we have some exciting news. Our app is available in the App Store on iOS and also at Google Play. That's very cool. So if someone goes to the iTunes Store or Google Play, all they have to do is go to the search bar, right? Yes. And type in Astonishing Legends. That's right, for the apps. For the apps. Yes. That'll show up. Right. Be sure that's, that you're in the app search field. Yes, on your portable. You're not going to find it on your, on your laptop. It's right. not a laptop program. It's an iOS program or an Android program, and there's a Windows version right around the corner. Yeah, so basically for your iPad, your iPhone, or your Android phone, or Google phone, Yes, your Samsung, whatever. <laughs> the, yeah. It's all going to be there. That's right. And, and and I think it's the easiest way to get the show. If you yeah, if you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to get on the the web page and search through things, although that's fun. Yeah, we uh, do. We put we, some we, great we links up. Yeah, so when that, we post that's the story, got yeah. a lot of added material on it. So definitely check that out. But I've heard from people it's like, well, I just, you know, first of all, I just want to hear the show on my mobile device because that's how I, you know, I'm gardening, I'm commuting, I'm bicycling. That's that's how they want to hear it. This is the easiest way to do that. This is the absolute easiest way. And and you can actually reach out to us through this app. It also has support if you have any issues with it. You can favorite episodes and listen to them over and over, which I know that's something that uh, my mom likes to do. And <laughs> <laughs> over, over and over. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool and we're pleased with it. And also it has uh, stunning new artwork from our graphic designer, John Mahorny, who, by the way, if anybody needs a logo designed or any kind of really good graphic work, he is a very talented man and he is moonlighting all the time. So if, you're lo- if you like our logo and you're interested in getting some more stuff done, you should reach out to us and we'll put you in touch with him. Yeah, very creative guy. And I must say, he makes the process a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun working with him because he, he gives you some great sketches. He really gets what you're talking about. Yes, he does. He has a lot of experience in advertising for years now, and uh, which is where I came from. And that's why I was fortunate to have him as a contact. And I'm, I'm really glad that we got set up with him. And and so when you download the app, you're going to see some new, really cool artwork that he did for us. We've added some more texture and flavor to our logo, uh, courtesy of him. And uh, we'll be rolling that, that those logos out probably in the podcast itself pretty soon. But anyway, we just want to get that out there. If you don't have the app, if you don't like iTunes, if you get sick of all the hoops you have to jump through to listen to our podcast and a sea of other podcasts, you get our app. It's just about us, and it's right there, and it's easy to find. Yeah, it updates itself. That's right. So you don't have to manually do it. Uh, one cool feature that I found is the Contact Us, which – and I knew that Scott set this up months ago, maybe even be you know a few months before we even started recording – uh, there's a direct secret phone number you can call. It says call the show. And it's like, wait, yes. wait, who's? I'm not answering that. Am I because I I'm not I'm not near that. It actually I'm comes through to yeah. my cell phone. It's a Google number. <laughs> That's uh, right. Which so, I haven't actually yeah. tried it, and it's not like our phones ringing off the hook. But uh. no, but <laughs> you could ring it once. I think it goes to a voicemail box, right? If I don't answer, it'll go to a voicemail oh, box. Oh my But goodness. it actually does forward through to my cell phone oh, right boy. now. You um, just opened up a huge. I know, did actually. I'm not the words. one that opened it up. You did. <laughs> Well, you don't have to. You can cut all this out because <laughs> no, it's all no, right. I did, I did find that, that uh, no, I did find that interesting. Is that there's several ways to contact us. Some folks already have, and we'll be giving them a shout out here as we uh, put their stories into the story folder and follow up on a few of those, and and uh, we'll get back to you on that. That's right. Without any further ado, let's roll the theme. <laughs> Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. Ghosts could walk freely tonight without fear of the disbelief of men, for this night was haunted, and it would be an insensitive man who did not know it. John Steinbeck, Tortilla Flat. (laughs) 
I realized that I'd ignored several warnings. That place at that time was not for me. So this is kind of exciting. Tonight's show is the first show we've done where we're actually interviewing a listener who contacted us with his own story. Yeah, that's right. There's been other listeners who have contacted us with uh, either uh, a review on iTunes or an email asking us questions about a subject we've covered or suggesting uh, story ideas, which we love. So please keep those coming. But this is the first listener, I believe, that told us that he had a story he wanted to share. Exactly. And it started out with him actually emailing me a written version of the story. Yeah, he's a, he's a pretty good short story writer. Yeah, oh, yeah it, so. it turns out he's a published author, although he is also a retired emergency room doctor. Yeah, which, which makes it fascinating. And I believe for a lot of folks, lends his point of view a little more credibility because, you know, here's a man of science. He's a physician who has seen a lot of, I'm sure, ghastly things come through the doors of the hospital. And it's a no-nonsense job. That's know? right. You know, people always say when they talk about UFOs that it's, well, if it's an airline pilot or an astronaut or a cop, a policeman, then the story is more believable. Exactly. That's my point. And it, yeah. I, I don't know whether it's true or not, but in this case, this story, the fact that it is coming from someone who was an emergency room doctor, for me, does make it more believable. This is, as you say, a man of science. Yes, he studied science. But not only that, I think, at least with all the doctors I've come across— you know, there, there's a logical explanation for most things that are wrong with you. You might be feeling strange, but, well, it's the medication you're taking or it's these environmental symptoms. So when you hear a doctor who's been a doctor for quite a long time now, and I, I, and I believe is retired, right? That's correct. <laughs> when he says this happened to him, I don't know, I, I tend to believe him a little bit more. Yes, I do too. So with that, we're going to play the interview. When it's over, we'll come back and give you our point of view on the story. Hey, Rick, this is Scott Philbrook calling. I was wondering if you're home. Hey, hey. hello. Hey, how are you? Good. Man, talk about precise. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm usually punctual. If I'm not, it means I'm having a tech issue. Cool. Well, it's uh, raining as advertised, but we haven't had any thunder yet. So. Oh, that's good. And it's, uh, I, I did occur to me that I'm calling you on Cinco de Mayo. I hope you didn't have any plans. <laughs> well, I'll set off the fireworks after we're done. <laughs> Do I have your consent to record this phone call? Absolutely. Okay, great. Otherwise, what would be the point? I know, exactly. And in, you live in Santa Fe? I live in Santa Fe. Yeah, we talked about that briefly, right? That's where Maria's is there, right? Didn't we talk about that? Yeah, Maria, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> what, what, what an interesting thing for you to know. <laughs> well, I am the road trip king. I love to travel, and I've, I've been through Santa Fe many times, although it's been a few years now. And I remember going to Maria's with my dad and eating, and just we just had the best time ever, you know? So. It's, it's still going strong. But if you if you come through again, you know, let me know ahead of time and I'll Abs we can meet and I'll take you to a local out. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome. I would love to do that because I have not been in a long time. Um, OK, so anyway, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us. Forrest and I are both going to be talking about your story tonight, but for now, it's just going to be me interviewing you. We found that when both of us are on the phone, the interviewee doesn't usually get a chance to talk very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, so, and then the, the other thing that I am super pleased to tell you is that you're our very first listener to call in. So that's super exciting because we have really? – Yeah. We haven't, we haven't had that before. In fact, some ungrateful Yahoo left a review for us. Somewhere, I can't remember where, it just said, all this show is is them interviewing their friends. So I, I was like, yeah, I was like, but they might well, have a stable of really interesting friends, <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah, exactly. So I'm pleased to report that uh, although we may be, after tonight, we may be friends. Prior to tonight, we, uh, you were a listener of the show that called in with a great story. So we're, we're excited about that. So yeah, I, I I was listening to the paranormal stories and I thinking, God, well, that's so incredible! Wow. And then I thought, wait a minute, I, I've had an experience <laughs> like that. That is so cool, and 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 I'm glad that you're cool. But before we get to that, let let's talk a little. Let's just talk about a little bit who who you are. First of all, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Richard J. Goldstein. I'm a retired ER physician. I live in New Mexico. All right. Now, How's that? how how long have you been retired? Uh, I guess about eight years. Okay. I'd have to add it up. Wow. So an ER physician. 
Now, since <laughs> I was, yeah, and you've you've listened to the show, right? You've heard some our prior epi- some of our prior episodes. I think I've I think I've heard every episode. Okay, so I have to ask you this because I've never in my life had a chance to ask an ER doctor anything when I wasn't bleeding profusely or missing a, an important <laughs> item. <laughs> or throwing up. Yeah, or throwing up. But you, you know, before I go any further, I just want to say for any of our listeners that haven't heard episode 14, uh, which is called What's Gotten Into You, I'm about to ask our, our retired ER physician here, uh, Mr. Goldstein, about his take on that. So if you haven't heard episode 14, you might want to skip ahead a little bit and then come back to the story. But uh, did you hear Did you hear that particular one, episode 14, about... I did. Can you? T- did you have any experience with uh, patients coming into the ER with uh, strange objects and strange orifices? Uh, lots. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I don't think there's an orifice that hasn't had a strange object in it <laughs> at one time or another. Oh my! Where, so when I was listening to that episode, you know, it uh, as soon as he started talking, I knew what it was. You did. It's just not. It's not that uncommon. So it's it's so it happens more than people probably want to admit. Yeah. In fact, it happened to me once. I, I once had, can I say what it, what it is? We're not keeping it secret. Yeah, sure, right? sure. I, I myself had a bug in my ear one time, and it is alarming. Oh, my God. I, in my case, I felt it go in. You know, it didn't happen while I was sleeping. I felt it go in, and then it was this incredible racket. In addition to hurting, it was, it was incredibly loud. Oh, my God. Were you outside or camping or? No, actually, I, I was laying in bed reading. Oh. In my case, it was a tiny little bug, you know, like a little gnat-sized fly. You know, I, I tried the oil trick, and that quieted it down. The next day, I went in and had another doc look at it, and it was gone. So somehow it came out. Oh, yeah. When, and- but, yeah, so, I've, you know, the, I guess the the most alarming bug that I ever pulled out of an ear was a big moth. I mean, it was, you know, I looked in there, and I, I couldn't tell what I was looking at. You know, it was this big gray mass. I thought, well, it's either a giant bug or his brain is coming out of it. <laughs> Which is, of so course, I, that, you incorporated that right into your bedside manner, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I see your brain. No, no. <laughs> Usually when uh, bugs come out of ears, they come out in pieces. Yeah. It's hard to pull them out, hard to pull them out intact. So it's it's a fairly gross procedure, but, but uh, people are so happy. To have it taken, you know, to have it be gone, that you know that it's very satisfying for all parties. Yeah, it's like the thorn in the paw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so but you know, other things too. You know, beads and beans, and kids are really fond of sticking little things in their nose or their ear. Oh yeah. And there's a variety of uh, handy tools that are made especially for that. You know, to facilitate pulling things out. Well, and that's what Jerry was trying to describe that was attached to his head. He had no idea what it was called, but it it, seemed, it moved with his head and allowed them to get the tweezers. Yeah, that thing, I didn't know. what I, I've, That I've never heard of. I tried to Google There's, it because I wanted to name it on the show, and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that. But there's like these like tiny, long, thin forceps. That where you know when you operate the the hand the handle it just opens up a tiny little set of jaws at the very tip. Okay. So that you can stick it pretty far down and grab whatever's down there. That sounds a lot and, like the construction of the alien in the first Aliens movie. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what you want in your ear. <laughs> Less goo, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, before you get started, uh, how long ago did this happen? Oh, lots of years, like uh, maybe 30 years ago. So it, it's obviously really poignant. It's stuck with you all this time. Yeah, I mean, I've told the story, you know, a zillion times. I, I, I never, I hadn't written it down until very recently in the, the, the thing I sent you. Yes, yeah. And um, yeah, it's stuck with me. I mean, it's it's the main paranormal experience that I ever had. I mean, you know, I, I, I always, you know, I crave those. You know, I wish more would happen. You know, I, I, I would love to see a, a, an authentic UFO. You know, I, I want there to be mystery, and I, I want there to be, uh, you know, mysterious things that, you know, that, that I brush up against. This was the chiefest one that I've had. Well, we we feel the same way. We're still waiting for something 
ultra compelling to happen to both of us. And uh, we've had little things, sure. And yeah, even there was that episode about the experience I had with that psychic and things like that. But I'm right. st- I'm still waiting for the irrefutable, undeniable proof that something exists beyond our you know most basic reality. But yes, I mean it, it seems clear to me that there's a lot we don't know. There's things we don't know how to measure, so we don't measure them. So we don't have, you know, some kind of objective proof of their existence. But but it's clear to me from, you know, the millions of stories that get told that stuff happens. Well, that, and that's the way I feel. And I also, I also think back to early man and how anything we didn't understand was mystical and unexplained. And I, for me, and Forrest and I are a little different on this, but for me, the unexplained isn't necessary. It may just be science that we haven't gotten to yet, or something beyond our realm—the realm of our comprehension. It doesn't necessarily mean that it ha- is, has just a magical supernatural explanation. It just means that we don't quite get it yet. Well, so let's so let's get on to your story. Why don't you uh, okay. tell us what happened? So this happened about thirty years ago. I was living in a little village just north of Albuquerque, and uh, I used to do a lot of you know, a lot of backpacking and camping and, you know, and so on. And and I used to like to go alone a lot. I mean, I, I went with other people, but but I, I really like backpacking by myself. So I had planned this trip. I had scout. I had seen a, a, a little creek that went up off a road in the Hamas Mountains, which is west of Albuquerque, where I was living. And, um, I, and I thought that is really pretty, and you know this is a kind of an arid area, so you know year-round creeks are a real treat. So I had uh, decided I was going to come back at some point and hike up along this little creek. So I did that. I I, uh, I planned it and I got all ready to do it, but um, I had I got a late start. You know I meant to leave early in the morning, but one thing happened and another thing happened, and so it was that always late happens. in the afternoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So so I uh, I uh, got a late start and uh, it was already late afternoon and I had a couple hours of driving to get to the spot. So um, by the time I got there, it was you know approaching evening and it was still light and you know the sun wasn't down, but but it was approaching evening and uh, but I thought you know well I'll just I'll hike as far as I can this evening, you know and I'll camp and then the next day I'll play around and the creek and follow it up a ways and see how it, you know, see where it goes. And so, um, but I was in a little bit of a hurry to get walking. So I parked my truck by the creek where, um, you know, where the creek, you know, left the road and wound up into the hills. I I hadn't filled my water bottle. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I should fill it before I start walking. And then I thought, nah, I'm going to be walking right up next to the creek anyway. You know, it's not, it's not hot or anything. So, so I didn't do that, and that figures into the story later. Okay. I don't think I would have filled my water bottle either, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Black Hawk Down story um, or if you read that book or saw that movie, but— I, I, I didn't. And then— I love it. Yeah, no, they all got—they were in, in Mogadishu, and they got surrounded. But there's the classic line where one of them's like, are you taking your night vision goggles? And the other guy's like, we won't be out after dark. We don't need them. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not that you're in that situation, but when you're hiking alone, you do have to be careful. But it's like, but yeah, you're right next to a creek. You know, I can get it anytime I want it. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I have over the years done a lot of hiking and camping in the desert, and I'm always really careful about water. Right. But in this case, I thought, nah, hell with it. I'll just fill it when I camp. So anyway, I started walking up the trail, and it it was muddy, which stuck in my mind because I, you know, it hadn't rained that I knew of. But the trail was muddy and a little bit slippery. So I guess I walked about maybe 30 or 40 minutes. And I came to this little meadow. And I and I thought, oh, this is a pretty spot. And by, by now it was, you know, really twilight. And I thought, you know, this is probably as far as I should walk. And it's a pretty spot. And the creek's right there. You know, I could hear it. And I thought, cool, I'll camp here. So I walked out into the meadow and... Um, there was a fire ring in the middle of the meadow, and I thought, perfect, other people have camped here. And there was a pile of dry pine branches you know, next to the fire ring, and I thought, well, this is ideal, this is like home. You know, I took my pack off and 
I thought, well, let me, I'll get a, while it's still light, I'll get a fire going and then I'll fill my water bottle and I'll camp and it'll be great. But in the firing was this glob of wet, greenish looking stuff that was kind of amorphous. I couldn't really tell what it was. You know, I poked it with a stick and it smelled kind of like moldy or musty. It didn't smell like, you know, a rotten dead animal or anything like that or, you know, excrement. It just smelled kind of moldy and musty, but but I couldn't move it. So I couldn't use the firing. I mean, it kind of was in the center there and it kind of filled the whole thing. So it was that big? So I, well, it was like maybe eight inches across. I mean, it was a a blob of stuff, you know? Right. But I couldn't really move it. It was too soft. So I ended up building another fire ring next to that one. And then I went to start a fire, and I had a notebook with me, so I took some of the notebook paper and broke up some sticks from this dry pile of firewood and went to light the fire. And I could not get the fire lit. Paper would burn, and the sticks would start to burn, and then it would just go out. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm good at lighting fires, especially if I have paper and, you know, dry kindling and stuff handy. And I could not get it lit. Every time it would start to burn, it would go back out. And I thought, God, it's almost like something's blowing it out. But but there wasn't any wind. I thought, well, that's that's weird. So by this time, I was getting really thirsty. And, you know, I hadn't walked that long. I don't know why I was so thirsty, but I started getting really thirsty. And I thought, well... I'll leave the fire for a minute, and I'll fill my water bottle. At least I'll have some water. So I took the bottle, and it was still, you know, just just barely light. And I went down by the creek, which was just right there. And the next thing that happened was I couldn't get to the creek. It was the strangest sensation. I, there was, you know, a wall of willows or um, salt cedars, you know, or nettles or something I couldn't get through. So I tried here, and, and, it, and it was too much vegetation. I tried over there, and it was all muddy. I just could not get to the creek. While I was trying, it got darker and darker. And so I thought, well, let me get my flashlight. So, you know, I felt my way back over to the, where my pack was, got out my flashlight, and went back to the creek. And it was very bizarre. I just couldn't get to the water. Wow. Yeah, it was this really strange sensation. I thought, well, I, you know, I'll go back to the fire. And I, so I went back to the fire and tried to get that going again. And again, I, I would light some paper and get some sticks burning, and then it would go out. So I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to die of thirst overnight. I'll just take my, you know, I had an apple with me, I remember. So I thought, well, I'll just... Um, you know, I'll eat the apple, I'll get my sleeping bag out, and I'll just, you know, go to sleep. And the minute that I thought of, you know, of that, I realized I couldn't do that. There was this sense of peril and dread came over me. Oh, I, I did leave something out. Uh, I went back and got my flashlight and went back to the, to the creek and was trying to get to the creek, and I tripped on a root or something and dropped my flashlight and it broke. Oh. You know, I found it, I, but it wouldn't go on. I couldn't get it to light. This is like, so. Uh, I mean, it's a textbook opening horror movie scene. <laughs> it, it, it really was, and that's how I felt, uh, or was beginning to feel. You know, this real sense of dread was coming over me. So anyway, I'm back over by where the firing was, and I thought, well, I'll sleep here. And then I thought, I can't sleep here. This is wrong. This is completely wrong. I, I've got to. I've got to get out of here. So I, I packed every, you know, uh, I, uh, you know, whatever I had taken out, I stuck back in my pack, and and I thought, okay, I'll I'll walk out. But of course, I didn't have my flashlight. What I did have was a box of, you know, strike anywhere matches. So I was able to light a match and find where the trail left the meadow. And so the way I had to proceed was because the trail was twisty and wound in and out amongst the trees and so on. So I, what I'd have to do is I'd have to light a match and look ahead a few feet and then go as far as I could, you know, and then stop and light another match and look again. I, I suppose in retrospect that I, you know, it, it seemed pitch black to me. 
And I suppose in retrospect, you know, if I had sat for a little while, you know, my eyes would have become more accustomed to the dark. And maybe I could have, you know, found my way without lighting the matches. But I found myself to be in this gigantic hurry. And, and I knew I needed to get out. I felt like I was being herded out of that area. And as I proceeded along in the dark, you know, with, you know, I'd look, I'd go as far as I could with each match. There started to be noises all around me. There was crackling and swishing of bushes and creaking of trees and not not exactly footsteps but but crunching and munching in the leaves all around me so you're and then you're, I started you're standing in the dark with your pack you've pa- you've got everything on you now this is yes this is 30 years ago so you're wearing one of those nightmare like big metal frame packs right <laughs> <laughs> it was an old Kelty pack. Oh, cool! An external frame pack. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, my dad has those, and I, I, I had one for a little while too. That's, so you're standing there in the dark with this, lighting matches over and over, and now you're hearing sounds closing in around you as you're trying to get down. Yes. And how far do you have to go? Well, I had walked about forty minutes. Oh, okay. Going up, I wasn't rushing, but I wasn't strolling because I was concerned to get to a place to camp before it got completely dark. Right. On my way up, and the trail, uh, if you'll remember, was muddy and slippery, so I was mm-hmm. doing a little bit of slipping and sliding as well. But I didn't want to go too fast. I'd already fallen down once when I broke the flashlight, and I, the thought of falling down again on the trail was just unbearable. So, and then things started touching me. I could feel things sort of uh, picking against my pack, tapping against my pack. I felt something trailing along my neck and on the back of my head. And, you know, the first couple times it happened, I whirled around. But, you know, I could, there was nothing, there was nothing to be seen. But more and more, I felt like I was being shown down and, and hurried along. And I, I realized that I had, I had ignored several warnings, you know, that this place, that that place at that time was not for me. You know, the, by the not being able to light a fire, by not being able to get water, you know, by breaking my flashlight, you know, I, I had been given all these warnings and I didn't hurry. At one point I shouted, you know, I'm hurrying, I'm going as fast as I can. And and that that just made it worse. It, 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 it you know, accelerated this sense of dread and terror that I was having. And the noise was going on and things were plunking against me on my back so but I could only go so fast you know I, I would light a match and sort of go as far as I could maybe a little bit further and then I would stop and have to light another match and of course my hands were shaking so some matches wouldn't light you know and um, however it seemed like forever but you know I, I probably wasn't any more than 30 40 45 minutes to get back down so then just when it was getting completely unbearable i came out from under the trees there was my truck you know i was at the road and i uh well you know telling the story even now i get shaky and that's giving i can hear you know i'm wearing headphones because i'm monitoring us and i can hear my own heart pounding in my headphones (laughs) yeah it, it, it was the most scared i've ever been without a doubt Wow. So I came out and I saw my truck, and as soon as I touched the metal of the truck, the steel of the truck, everything stopped. Suddenly it was quiet. You know, I didn't feel anything touching me. The sense of menace kind of evaporated away, you know, and I could hear the creak again. You know, so I threw my pack in the back of the truck and climbed in. And as, as soon as I got in the truck, there was this sense of insulated peace. You know, being surrounded by metal and glass just insulated me from it. But of course, I, you know, I still had this raging thirst, but I, I was not going to get out of the truck and, and fill my bottle, you know, in that place. I felt like that would be, that would not be the right thing to do. So I started the truck up and drove a couple of miles down the road and found a place where there was a nice turnout, you know, and a little beach sloping down to the at, at, you know, from where the trail 
uh, came to the road, the creek followed along next to the road. So I found a spot to park and went down and filled up my water bottle and just just drank it straight out of the creek. I mean, you know, I had, I mean, this was years ago, but, you know, I still, I had halogen tablets with me, you know, that to purify, but I didn't bother with them. And I'm, I'm pleased to report that I did not get Giardia. <laughs> I'm drinking straight out of the creek. Oh. And, um, you know, I, I unrolled my, my uh, pad and sleeping bag in the back of the truck and just went to sleep right there by the road. And you know, I was you know I laid in my sleeping bag and looked up at the sky and it was dark with a bazillion stars, you know the way things are when you're away from city lights and you know I felt peaceful. I didn't you know the dread and menace did not follow me down from that place. So I don't know what it was, but tra you know there was a Forest Service sign by the trail and clearly people had camped there before. You know it was. It wasn't a remote spot. It was the Hamus Mountains. Of, you know, there's a lot of development and campgrounds and stuff. And so, I don't think the spot itself was contained anything in particular. But that particular time, that particular moment, that evening, was just the wrong time to be there. And um, you know, I've thought a lot about what what it could be. You know, was it? Ghosts? Was there, you know, an old graveyard, you know, like in the movies? Or I, I just don't know. Or, you know, was it a gathering of not necessarily malevolent spirits or creatures, but um, kind of like the that Kipling story where the kid rides his elephant to the gathering of the elephants? you know, that he's not supposed to see, something like that. Oh, you know, where yeah, yeah. I just wasn't supposed to see what was going on or be part of it. Or Anyway, that's the story. You know, one of the questions that Forrest always asks is, did it feel like a male or female presence? Did it feel, and you said, not you already said, not necessarily malevolent. Did it feel like more than one thing or just one thing? Or did it even feel no, like it a felt th like more th It felt like more than one thing. Okay. It wasn't a, a, a huge... And the, and the noises weren't, you know, it wasn't like a wind blowing, you know, out of the meadow and blowing me down the trail. It was more like I was being followed. Well, herded was yeah, what I had always said, that I was being shown the way out. And whatever it was, was getting, had gotten impatient with me because I wasn't realizing that I shouldn't be there. So it's always been my, my theory about, things of that sort is that they don't, I mean, this isn't an original thought with me, but, but I've always felt like those kinds of things can't directly hurt you. Right. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't interact with us in that way. You know, they can't slit your throat or hit you with a tree or they can't directly harm you. But what they do is they, they can fill you with fear or make you do stupid things so that you could end up hurting yourself. That's uh, but, exactly what Forrest would say. That's Forrest has that exact same theory. We call it uh, the rules. He has these rules that he thinks things follow, and that's one of them is that they can't hurt you directly. Yes, well, I, I really agree with that. But I will say that, that the fear I felt was, you know, fear of harm. Or, you know, well, I guess fear can be I don't know, abstract or something where it's not, you know, I wasn't thinking, oh man, this thing is going to hit me. It, it was just this amorphous feeling of fear that made me rush. I guess if there had been, if the terrain had been dangerous, I, I suppose I, I, you know, I could have stumbled off of something, fallen or something, you know, and hurt myself. Well, it was dangerous, but you were careful. I mean, with the, with the mud, you could have twisted an ankle pretty easy. That's true, and then I would have had a hard time leaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what that. Of course, you know, I, I, you know, what if I had stood my ground? I've always wondered that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it it wasn't possible to stand my ground, and I mean, I, I just I couldn't do when I, when I started to take out my sleeping bag, and you know, well, I'll just sleep and eat my apple, and you know, get water in the morning and deal with. I don't need a fire. It wasn't. You know, it was summer. It wasn't cold. When, when I thought that there just was no question in my mind that that was not possible. Wow. 
Well, uh, so, so I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how. How do they get into your emotion? Is is the question or a question? Yeah, there's a connection. There's a connection there that, yeah. again, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It sort of transcends our understanding. I mean, I've only had that one experience that was like that. You know, there's been times when I've, you know, been out in the dark. So, I mean, I guess we've all, you know, and, and had chills go up our back. And, you know, we look around and this was the most, you know, the most direct and personal experience of that sort that I've had. You know, and I, I I never have been able to figure out, you know, how does it work? How do they? How does? How it is something? Assuming there is something that's you know independent of your own built-in fears, how does it? How does it get to you? What what buttons does it press? How do you know? How does it work? I think it has. I mean, I don't. I I, I have no idea. So I should first. I should qualify that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. It was sort of a rhetorical question. Yeah, I no, it, it is, and I obviously don't have the answer. But you know, I, I guess for me personally, I think that there's things that we don't understand about our own existence and how it works that are more complicated than just simply what you can see in front of you. And I think that yeah. when you can cross well, yeah, paths and- with with other things that exist on planes that we don't realize we exist on, I guess is is the best way I can think to say it. My other question, or I guess almost fear that I have, is that I passed up an opportunity to go past the you know wrathful demon to get to the you know the paradise on the other side. Well, that you know, there's a this is a weird parallel, and it's from a TV show, so I don't know how much value it has in it. But <laughs> Les Stroud, do you know who Les Stroud is? Uh, the name. He's a survivalist. Yeah, it's like him and Bear Grylls. They're the two guys that are always just like they're being dropped off in the middle of nowhere and have to eat berries. Right. And, and he's doing a series right now on Bigfoot, and which I like him am on the fence about Bigfoot. I love Bigfoot stories. Like we love all stories. That's why we have Astonishing Legends. But I'm not sure. And I've heard some pretty amazing ones over the years. And we're gonna t- we're gonna tackle it sooner or later on our show. But he's doing a series right now, and I was watching one the other day. And he had gone up to – in the Pacific Northwest somewhere, up to a very high mountain. And they set up one of those game cameras and put some apples on a tree and some other stuff. And they were going to just see what happened. And then they hike. It was him and this other guy who was an expert who had said he'd had an encounter there years before. Les himself was incredulous about this expert. But the good news about the guy was that he was okay with them being incredulous with each other and they were friends. So they had gone up there to sort of see if they could find anything. They set this stuff up and they went up to camp a, a couple hundred yards above it so they wouldn't be near where the cameras and the and the sort of bait was. And they couldn't, like you, and this I actually thought of you when I watched this and I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm talking to you in a few days because they couldn't get their fire started. And they just tried everything. So, and, and it was less. And he, first of all, is one of the foremost survivalists in the country. This guy can start a fire with like a shoestring. And then, <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then he was up there also with a, I think, a local Native American who was freaking out a little bit as well. And then they were there with the other guy who was considered a sort of a Sasquatch expert or a Bigfoot expert, and all outdoorsmen. None of them could get this fire started. They were trying everything, and everything was soaking wet, and they were having all these issues. And Les actually used his his second to last match, I think. And they were they were about to give up. They were like, "We're gonna we're gonna be camping in the wet. We're gonna be wet all night." And they during the time that this was happening, there was a tree near them that they heard sounds coming out of, like knocking sounds. Like and out of the inside of the tree? Inside of the tree. The, the other two guys couldn't couldn't pin it down as being inside the tree. But he went down. He was like, normally I would not go do this. My instinct is telling me to go away. But I'm up here to get any kind of evidence about anything because, frankly, I don't, I'm not going to believe in this until I see something. And so he's like, I'm going to go figure out what this sound is. So he goes down to where they're hearing the sound, and he pinpoints it to the inside of a tree. He goes right up to it, and he can hear it, and he knocks on the tree, and he realizes that it sounds hollow compared to the other trees around it. And But he still can't figure out what it is. He goes back up to where they're trying to 
have, start the fire and they're still having issues. And the whole time that knocking sound is coming from that tree. And he said, it's not a tree creaking in the wind. He goes, we all know what that sounds like. There was something weird going on with it, but we couldn't see what was hitting it. So they were just about to give up. And it was ex- a very much like your scenario. Everything they were trying yeah. was, was not working for them. And they were just about to give up. And at that moment, there was a groan and a huge tree, another tree, fell over, like very close to them. And when it did, it exposed a ton of dry wood inside of it. And the Native American that was with them was like, we were tested and we were allowed to stay. Wow. And they took that wood out and made a big fire and and with their last match. <laughs> so, and I, and I may have some of these details wrong. I just – I saw it a few days ago, so I'm not vouching for exactly, but it's pretty – that's pretty wow. close to what happened. It's still – the show's still on the air. You can probably find it if you DVR the reruns. Yeah, now I, that makes me wonder if I missed something. Well, I don't know. I got to tell you, I would have gotten the hell out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, that, I wanted... that's, that's what I did. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I, I don't know if you heard the Greyfriars Kirkyard episode. That, that was our Halloween special last year. And Oh, I, was, I did, yeah. yeah. And I was I was telling Forrest, it's like, as, as badly as I want to experience something, I'm not going there. Like, if there's, there, it gets to a point where there's like, I don't know, because I'm like, well, you could come away from an experience like that with some sort of premature death, cancer or something. You know, like, I, it's it's too... Like you said, they can't directly hurt you, but I do believe that when you encounter something really malevolent, it can make you sick. It's like the haunting in Connecticut. People are in the presence of bad things long enough. They get seriously ill or the illnesses they already have get worse, and then when they move away from the area or they get away from it, they get better. So I do believe in those influences or whether I do or not, I don't want to expose myself to just even the idea that they might exist. And Well – I mean, you're a doctor. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you pro- I don't know I, where I you think, come down on that, but well, I, I, I come down thinking that illness, even sort of obvious illness like infections, I think are always an interplay between external forces of some sort. You know, whether it's microbes or radiation or you know whatever it is, uh, and inner forces, maybe some kind of interior receptivity to something. Right. I think, you know, because, you know, clearly just being in the presence of a pathogenic microbe doesn't automatically mean you're going to get the disease that it causes. You know, I think, you know, so I, I think it's a, a complex interaction between ourselves and, you know, and our environment. And I guess paranormal experiences could work in, you know, in something of the same way. It's interesting that, that with that Sasquatch story that there's two different things going on there. I mean, there was this paranormal testing that went on that the Native American guy recognized. But Sasquatch is a completely different issue. Yes. You know, that's the issue of, you know, what something we would recognize as a, a creature, an animal of some sort. Well, you say um, that, but there are people that believe that it has uh, supernatural abilities or that it's interdimensional or that it exists on multiple planes. There are people that have a whole thing that goes way outside of just cryptozoological deal with Sasquatch. Is that true of all the... That is I true mean, of like most of them. And, and, Sasquatch or... Um, yes. What's the one in Tibet? The um, oh, Abominable yeah. Snowman? Yeah, the Yeti, the Sasquatch. Yeah, the, Yeti. Uh, the, the, um, the Skunk Ape, the... Um, what's the other one? I can't name them all right now, but there's there's so many of them. And the the other thing that happened on that episode of that show was they came back down to check the game camera. The, the first night they went to check it, it had been knocked over. And they played it back, and like some little critter had knocked it over, and all their bait was gone, including an apple that was like twenty feet up in a tree, uh, and speared on a branch. But they couldn't see anything because the the little thing, the little animal, whatever it was, I can't remember, was about the size of a squirrel, knocked the camera over. They set it back up the next night, and he and Les himself was like, "Well, maybe the other guy is hoaxing me. I don't know. He could maybe he got up in the middle of the night and went down there." But that next night, that guy left. He hiked all the way down off the mountain, and they put the camera back up, and he – the when in the morning when they came down, the camera was intact, and it had, I think, nine images on it. And the apple and all the bait, including chocolate candy bars laid out on these branches that were so high up they had stood on each other's shoulders to place them, were all gone. So obviously lots of different animals would be attracted to that stuff, but they rolled back the camera – 
and in the camera, he saw something coming up in the very low lower left of the frame. You could just barely see the top of it, and then the apple vanished, literally like a like an old timey like poof. poof vanished off the branch. So something was able to take it without triggering the motion sensor for that particular instant, as well as all the candy bars without triggering the motion sensor. And wow, then that raises in the very bottom left. He he was like, I can see the top of something here. And whatever that was is what took the bait, but we don't know what it is. You can only see like a couple inches of the top, whether it's the head or an arm or a shoulder of something that you can't even make it out. But there is something in this one frame. Whatever it was managed to take everything without the camera catching it. Oh, oh, and he said the other point was that whatever is in the bottom frame of that shot is at least eight feet tall or something like that. So, well, that just raises all sorts of questions about what kind of interfaces are going on here. Another one of my cherished beliefs is that, you know, there are there are wild animals that have figured out how to live amongst us in our cities and so on. I mean, flies and rats and groundhogs and... Uh, Roaches and June bugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all sorts of insects, and, and but, but larger things, too. And I've, I've always wondered if there are, like that movie Wolfen, where, where there's, you know, wolves that have learned to live amongst us. I've always wondered about stuff like that, if... If there are fairly large creatures that that exist in our cities, but are so good at hiding or just being disguised as things that that we don't recognize them. I mean, we've been around a long time, and we've had cities for a long time. I would think things could have evolved. You know? And there was also that movie Chud, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. They all lived in the sewers. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that one, but that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. <laughs> Not to go too far afield. No, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so great talking to you. Yeah, this was really fun. Thanks for talking to me so late in the evening. Great. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Wow, that's that's pretty creepy. Yeah, that, that story gives me the chills, <laughs> honestly. You know what? But this brings up an interesting point, because when I first read the story that he'd emailed, and then listen to what you had recorded with him. I was thinking about all of my own experiences out in the woods. I grew up in the Northwest in a suburban setting, but certainly there was a lot of camping, a lot of fishing and hiking and, and all that out in the woods. And the woods have never given me a creepy feeling. I mean, I've always felt like comforted because it was nature. You know what I'm saying? I mean, of course, there's, there's animals that you got to be wary of, uh, certainly bear, possibly a cougar. You know, but that's about it. I've always felt safe, I guess. I mean, you know, you, again, you res- it's a thing you have to respect because you can get trapped. You can get injured, not make your way out, die of dehydration and hunger, hypothermia. There's definite things to be respectful of. It's kind of crazy, though, when you think about it, when you think about the message that was being sent to him and then the the further evidence of the – of during his descent, of yeah. the sounds around him. And the physical contact, I mean, that's when it really – and when he's when he said, I'm going as fast as I can, and <laughs> right. then it got worse. Yeah, you think it would get better. Like, yeah. All right. I just want to make sure yeah. that uh, you understood us and that you need to get the heck out of here. But that's, you know, that's not an uncommon thing. I've recently heard lots of stories about people hearing things in the bushes near them as they're walking, crunching things, not animals. I mean, sometimes, yeah. You know, I've walked by the ice plant, you know, when I'm out for a walk and I can hear – rats or squirrels or whatever they are scurrying about in the bushes. Yes. But that does not instill deep fear at a sense that I have to flee immediately. Right, right. It's a it's a whole different story. Now, has that ever happened to you? I One time when I was younger, I there was some land near the house that I lived in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, that was undeveloped for whatever reason. And in this on this land was a radio tower that had been either disassembled or had fallen over or you know, maybe never erected. I'm not sure. It had one of those big metal reflectors that I guess when the oh, tower... Oh, the, the array, you mean? the? Uh... Well, it, it was like a... It was just a piece of metal, but I, I think it was designed to bounce something. Okay. If the tower had been standing upright, it would have been at a 45-degree angle. You've seen them. I yeah. don't know what they do, but Yeah, no, I know anyway, what you're talking about. All this stuff was on the ground in the woods, and it was a great place to go play. And so I, I had a friend, a neighbor friend of mine. He and I would go there sometimes We'd and play on this structure. And we were out there one day. It was broad daylight. And it was a pretty big piece of land. There was no houses around at the time. I'm sure it's all developed at this point but because it was in uh, North Raleigh. And 
some we became convinced that something was watching us. <laughs> and how, how did that, <laughs> what, what gave you that feeling? I can't remember. We just we just got you know it's not a very interesting story, so I'm not going to drag it out. But like we we got kind of creeped out, and we wound up running away and trying to run out of there. And we were both convinced, myself especially, that something was chasing us that was upright and running after us, whether it was a man or an animal or whatever. And as I was running for life, like in a full state of panic, I knew this thing was behind me. But I also knew that I I thought I was maybe imagining it, that I that I had spooked myself, but right. I wasn't going to stop <laughs> yeah. and check. Right. And we ran all the way home, went our separate ways. Wait, I, wait a minute. You, <laughs> without speaking, you just darted yeah, each back your, into your, your own homes. respective homes. <laughs> I went into my house and I got – I had a little TV in my bedroom. It was the first thing I ever bought with my own money uh-huh. from like a part-time job, little Samsung TV actually. It was like three hundred cups. Was, was it a distinct color, like burnt orange? Just a little or a, tiny, okay. no, not a seventy wood grained, yeah, okay, color, gotcha. you know, TV. And I remember that I turned it on. I was just sitting on the floor, looking at it, trying to catch my breath. And I was like, "Did something happen or not, or whatever?" And and the TV uh, turned off while what, I was looking by, at it. by itself. Yeah, it turned wow. off by itself. And I was like. That point, I was like, "What is happening?" You know. <laughs> yeah. But then, the more, even the next day, I was like, "No, I imagined everything." Yeah. I don't know, and and it has nothing to do with Dr. Goldstein's story, really, because it was not real. And even even after, right after it happened, it didn't feel real. It just was a. I what I could relate to was that abject terror. Yeah. Now, as I got older, I was in the Boy Scouts actually for a long time, but all the way to Eagle Scout, believe it or not. Yeah. And I've done congratulations, a, by the way. Thank you. Last, thank you. The, I went to the ceremony last week. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, I, I of course did a lot of camping, and never got creeped out by anything. You know, I woke up one night in my tent. There was a raccoon, maybe six inches from my face, <laughs> in the, in unwrapping the tent? yes, unwrapping yeah. a Snickers bar that my tent mate had left. Oh uh, yeah. And these tents know. were like on pallets. You know, the canvas yeah. big tent, like you have, you yeah. know, and like old timey. Yeah. Civil War tent, you know, like right, right. And so there was a little table between our two cots, and there was a Snickers bar that my bunk mate had left out. Yeah, you never want to do that. No, yeah. and I look over, and the raccoon is looking at me. Yeah, like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, I as know. He's, that's... As he's looking me in the eye, and slowly with his little raccoon hands, yeah. unwrapping the Snickers bar. And no, it's amazing the, so how I'm brazen like, they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And because that's this is the that's the only thing that's creepy about them is that they don't care. No. Uh, they're not they're not scared of you. Right. We, we have them here in Los Angeles. Actually, yeah, you had I've one in, in your backyard. That's right. Yeah. You you mentioned that uh, one was yeah. digging for grubs in your backyard. Yeah, it was the size of a pot bellied pig too. Yeah, they huge. they eat well. They don't miss many meals, especially a, a candy bar. Yeah. Well, but, anyway, but no. But that's your point: is that even when there's a a wild beast sitting in your tent with you, that's a different feeling. I mean, I'm sure there was alarm. There, you, you know, uh, there's the the fact of being startled. But this is another point I was going to make. And, and again, I, I love I love this aspect of these types of stories when people tell them because uh, you can tell they're genuinely affected. I mean, we've had several people come into the studio here to tell you know which you've heard uh, stories, and when we when we pause, they're like, "I'm sorry, uh, but this this freaks me out." Right. Uh, tell, retelling it, I, that, I mean, they get goosebumps, the hair stand up on the back of their neck. It's true. It was the same thing with Doctor Goldstein. When he was retelling the story, he paused to say, "Boy, this, this. Sorry, I'm kind of nervous. This creeps me out a little." Retelling yeah. the story because you you have those same feelings, but that's the point we're making is that that is different from when you freak yourself out or maybe you saw something that was scary. I've seen bear, you know, live bear stand up, maybe it was eight feet tall, and that certainly gets your attention, and it, it gives you that primal fight or flight response. But it's not. Abject terror, right? You know, it's not, it's a different it's not thing. terror from beyond. Yeah, it's a different thing, and it's it's hard. I can't really say what this was. I mean, if it's hard for me to even speculate what he experienced. Now, let me tell you something. I was one of the things that I'm most fascinated about with his story is the green stuff in the fire. Oh, why it wouldn't light? What yeah. is that? Well, yeah, it's not only <laughs> that it wouldn't light. He couldn't even use the fire ring because there was a large blob of green goo. Yeah, in the fire ring now. I'm trying to figure out what is naturally occurring that would create this substance. And he said it smelled too, you know? So, yeah. I, 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 but he said, not like a dead animal. He's right. Specific, but it, it did have a smell to it. He's like, I could not use that fire ring. 
And I'm I'm looking everywhere. What, what is this? I look up green goo. Turns out <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just a general term you can put in, well, and you, it stuff comes up. Yeah, yeah, yeah no so praise speak. Google. There is actually a product on Amazon called Green Goo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's some kind of. Uh, it's described as 100 percent all natural green goo, first aid and outdoor salve. Oh, okay. So it's a medicinal ball. Yeah, it's some kind of yeah. But it it comes in a little container. It's like three ounces. Yeah. And I'm sure it doesn't smell bad. I'm sure it's been engineered to be uh, consumer friendly. It's not going to stink. You know, it may not light on fire. Hopefully, but uh, but I know what you're talking about. Also, I highly doubt it was around 30 years ago. Yeah, it's a very hipster looking product. No, (laughs) (laughs) that reminds me of the uh, the stuff called slime uh, that's green. You can use it to seal your bike tires or your car tires from puncture, and it works really well. But again, this is not what that was. Actually, you know what? The, from the links that you sent me, what it sounds like is more like an algae type. Well, there is there is this stuff, and people talk about this, especially in 14 circles. There's this thing that they call star jelly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you can actually look that up on Wikipedia. Uh, star jelly is just any sort of strange gelatinous stuff that you find, and it comes in all different colors. And there have been lots of people that have discovered it under various circumstances. Some people have said it's rained from the sky. Other people, it, it turns up in strange places at strange times. And there's there's actually even – there was an Unsolved Mysteries about it. In 1994, a gelatinous rain fell in Washington in a, in a town called Oakville. Do you know where that is? Oakville? Well, no, that's that's not my side of the state, but, right. I, but I've but i heard of it. It's, okay. uh, it's, it's a little south of uh, Olympia okay. and like north of Centralia, which is not going to mean anything to anybody. <laughs> well, apparently, <laughs> you know. this, apparently this gelatinous rain fell – and Unsolved Mysteries even did a show on it, which I vaguely feel like I've seen, in, in 1995. I guess there was also a National Geographic video called Mystery Goo Rain. <clears throat> no, they, is, they go – they take the turn of conspiracy. Yeah, they, they? they put forward a conspiracy theory that had an interview with a microbiologist named Mike McDowell who said he tested the substance and speculated that it was a matrix containing Pseudomonas fluorescens and Enterobacter cloacae that could cause illness to those who touched it. So – and in this video, he claims that his sample went missing and when he asked the management what happened to it, he was told, don't ask. So <laughs> what? apparently – yeah. So he's on record as saying the, he thinks the material was manufactured by somebody and that Oakville was chosen as a test site. Well, you never know. Well, first there's Hanford. OK. So that's kind of a mysterious – it's not mysterious, but uh, there's a lot of high security – down in that corner of the state, as well as the place where they incinerate uh, nerve gas oh, and store okay. it. VX, all your all your good juicy ones. That's a military installation, though. It's a storage facility, I believe, and they also incinerate them there for disposal. Oh, wow. So, you know, Washington State's not without its mystery. Talk about not in my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, North Carolina, too. Yeah. And now Pennsylvania. Yeah. This is one quick aspect I was going to mention, is that every state has... It's mystery. And especially, you know, New Mexico, it's the land of enchantment. That's yeah. that's their motto. It's an amazing state. I love it there. But uh, the only other thing I was going to say is – so then I'm like trying to unfold. What scenario – how did this goo get into the fireplace? Forget yeah. the whole rest of the story. <laughs> right. What is this? All yeah. right. Now, everyone knows when you go camping and you have a fire, especially when you're younger – you're always throwing things in to see what happens when they burn. Right. right. Everyone's got a little pyromania yes. in them. <laughs> there's bo- there's going to be burnt bottle caps <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and a half-melted Coke bottle in there. What if somebody threw something in there and this is what it turned into? But he didn't describe it as being burnt at all. And the, the other thing that it could be is a, a bacteria called Nostoc. Uh, Nostoc apparently forms itself into colonies that are composed of filaments and mon- moniliform cells. In a gelatinous sheath, okay? And I'm taking that from Wikipedia. So (laughs) when it's on the ground, a Nostoc colony is ordinarily not seen. But after a rain, it swells up into a conspicuous jelly-like mass, which was once thought to have fallen from the sky. Hence the popular names Star Jelly, Troll's Butter, Witch's Butter, not to be confused yeah, that's uh, not the, the stuff that now people are, are putting on for dry skin. That's yeah. The, the bag bulb, yeah. excuse me. That's, yeah. Witch's butter and witch's jelly. So it, Michael Quinion of the Worldwide Words newsletter said that it is known in Welsh as Pudersé, rot of the stars. It is also known as Pididser, star slime. So this is this stuff that – and this is, this is one of the most plausible things that comes up to, for me is like that there was some sort of mold in the fire ring. Maybe it rained just before Rick got there 
and it swelled up out of the ground and it was a naturally occurring thing that was reacting to, you know, maybe there was some food left in the fire and this mold grew. The other thing is close by, really close by, not too far away, Los Alamos, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. It, <laughs> that's so- that's what I'm yeah. And I don't know, if, again, that, that there was a connection. It wasn't really a connection I was trying to make earlier, but you're not too far from Fat Man and Little Boy, you know, the uh, World War right, II. where Oppenheimer uh, yeah, ran exactly. Los Alamos. So maybe a couple of guys uh, stole some of the latest product out of there and went camping, right? <laughs> I don't, no, it, it sounds, um, you know, if you're going to remove the uh, paranormal element to that. Could be an algae of some kind, a, a, a bacteria, or it, it sounds like it could have an, a biological explanation to it. But he's an experienced camper. And as he's, as he said, started fires in all different kinds of conditions, just needs a, a few twigs and some matches and uh, he's ready to go. But this seemed different to him. He's also Who knows? has medical expertise and awareness of biological entities you know, well, that's what I'm like, saying. He's he, he's he's aware of science and yes. <laughs> and the principles the principles of physics and science and chemistry. Right. He had to study all that in school. And he actually he didn't go on about it a long time. He basically just said, "I couldn't light a fire there." You it know? just look. It just adds to the weirdness. Yes. of the story. Yes, it, one more element of something unexplainable. The western segment of the Santa Fe National Forest, known as either Hemes Mountain or simply Hemes, offers some of the most spectacular geology found in the area. Once upon a time, this area experienced several explosive volcanic events, but evidence of other geological forces can be seen in this section of the Santa Fe National Forest. Anyway, it, it sounds like a beautiful place. And then he also – he mentioned Fenton Lake. So you know, Fenton Lake State Park, I guess, is about yeah. – it's a 37-acre lake, and it's a it's a very popular fishing destination. And Yeah, it looks lovely. We'll, we'll have links to uh, these locations on the website. Yes. Uh, so you can kind of see what, what we're talking about. They're not too far from Santa Fe where he was living at the time. So it's kind of a quick drive. No, not quick. Like an hour and a half, I would guess. Uh, yeah, it's north. It's north, mostly north, north and, and west, west yeah. of Albuquerque. Right. But right. it's all so kind of the same of area. So, so Santa Fe, of, of course, is north of Albuquerque. If you keep going further north, you'll hit the White Sands Missile Range. And then uh, head west, and you'll see the general area of the Hemez Mountains with Fenton Lake. And then if you keep going further west, you'll eventually get to the Chaco Canyon area. Now, you've been there, right? Yes, I have. I went to Chaco Canyon as a kid with my dad. Uh, we went to every park over the course of several years Yeah, on road trips with his four-wheel drive, usually. Did, you, did you do any hiking? We did a ton of hiking. <laughs> but you didn't have this experience, which, I, which I'd read, from a webpage called Shadowlands.net. And they, and they had a great listing of all the haunted sites in New Mexico, which I kind of found. In, and didn't see anything very specific to Fenton Lake, but uh, definitely Chaco Canyon, where it says, uh, while hiking, you can feel the presence of someone with you, following you. Uh, you know, the Chaco ge- Canyon, I believe, I don't know if it still has this distinction, but it is the largest site of ancient... Native American ruins or Hopi Indian, and I don't want to be quoted on this. With yeah. the fact checkers get mad, but I feel like there were, there's many pueblos there. Oh yeah, well that's like, ex- exactly that's what what he was talking about. I mean, I was uh, a kid when I went, but I, I remember being in awe of all the structures that were out there in the desert. And you can just hike and hike and hike. And in addition to that, back when we went, when I was younger, I mean, this was. I don't know, probably 30 years ago, but the it was probably about the same time <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Rick was camping close by, but they were still finding stuff regularly that was had not been discovered. Oh, yeah. There, he had also mentioned there's an old Pueblo area in the Jemez Mountains. So the area is really rich with Native American lore and uh, old dwellings and establishments. And I believe maybe the Chaco Canyon area, that could be as old as uh, 1500 B.C. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, it's definitely lots of living going on there, lots of history. A lot of history and a lot of history in general throughout that whole area. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking into campgrounds and hauntings at campgrounds. Apparently, the only allegedly haunted campground in the entire Forest Service, there's one. <laughs> well, who's by whose opinion? The Forest Service? Uh, I, well, they list it as haunted on oh. their website. So <laughs> okay. it's, I guess there's a scary story behind it. It's called the Holy Ghost Campground. And it ha- it's I guess it's near Holy Ghost Canyon, and it's haunted by the spirit of a priest, supposedly. Yeah. Uh, it's haunted by the spirit of a priest who had been killed by Pueblo people in the late 1680s. And this is really not far from where Rick was when he was camping. Right, right. But really, the whole Southwest, there's traditionally been a lot of mystery and natural, I don't know, spiritual kind of energy, I guess. A lot of people claim that. And they go to Sedona, Arizona to kind of pick up on those vibes and the uh, the Anasazi ruins. 
So the whole area, really, a lot of a lot of lore. They've been inhabited for thousands of years, you know, by native peoples, and also, yeah, like when they, like you said about the ghost campground, that's pretty early for the West, the late seventeenth century. It is. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing, and it's one of my favorite parts of the country. You know, and the other thing that that Rick said about this particular campground that I thought was really interesting was that it didn't necessarily feel like it was associated with with that place. It just was that place at that time. Yeah, it it's like he right. was it's colliding a, with something. Exactly. And I and I yeah. love that he kept saying the word herded, like he was herded out, which is right. <laughs> You're like, well, no, he was, he was you know? well, he was prodded. So, yeah, definitely something said, get time to get going. This and he is not also, for you. He also felt like it was more than one thing. Like right. It was a group of entities or something. Well, you know what? It reminded me of people having these kinds of experiences out on walks, even um, – on the way home, it could be a, a dark evening. I remember this one story. This couple uh, said that they heard a little scurrying. And it wasn't – again, it didn't seem like animals. They didn't have that sense. But w- what was weird is that they felt this beckoning, like, come follow us kind of a thing. And that's the old leprechaun, you know, legend and lore. Right. Uh, people wa- people get misled off into the woods, never to be seen again. That's, I mean, that goes all the way back to the sirens. Yeah, exactly. And so people – and again, who knows? I don't know if these are are totally true. These people, when they're telling the story, I go by how nervous and freaked out they seem. Either they're really good actors or they're genuinely still freaked out about it. And what's luring them away? And in this case, he was lucky because they they were telling him to go away, not follow us off into the woods. Well, and additionally, he was able to go and sleep in his truck just a short distance away where everything felt okay. Yeah, that's another thing that I, I think I've mentioned previously when people tell a, like a horrible ghost encounter or something very spooky or weird, uh, wakes them up in the middle of the night, be it a shadow person or the old hag at the end of the bed. Right after that, they go to sleep, which yeah. I can't. But, yeah, but I, I, know, I know what he was talking about. As soon as he got to the truck and can feel the protection of metal and glass and the, in the cab of the pickup, he felt fine yeah. and, and, and back at ease. Plus, to him, he was out of danger, and to whatever was prodding him, he was out of the way. Right, right. Well, it was a great story. I'd like to thank Richard Goldstein again for calling in and sharing his story with us. If any of you listeners out there have stories like that that you want to share that you think might be good for the show, give us a call. Reach out to us or email us or however you want. Or if you get our app, apparently you can call me directly from our app. (laughs) (laughs) He's probably not going to pick up, but we do get the the message. Yes, we do. That's going to wrap it up for our show. We just want to let you know, if you go to our website for this episode, you will find the story that Mr. Goldstein wrote about this event, which he said that we could feel free to put up there. So that's up there. We're going to have some pictures of the area where Fenton Lake is. He sent in a picture of him with that pack uh, with his sons in the picture too. So that's great. And I'm still looking for a picture of a truck like the one he had. Uh, it was a Slant 6 uh, Forest Service truck, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. which uh, sounds yeah. really cool. So you can find all that stuff on our website. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another show, probably not about the Coral Castle. Remember to go to the App Store or Google Play and look for our app. It's the easiest way to keep up with our show. Our theme was composed by Judson Crane and our sound design by Ryan McCullough. Thanks to Jim Creative Design for our logo. Most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night.